there's a couple of good moments, but there's been so many where you've had to rise up and you'd be able to pull on that um, that mental approach that you have with swimming, the, you know, that calmness that you can have with it where you can actually look out and see a whole different perspective, a whole different range of things. Um, but also too, you know, where you can just get the job done and when it's under pressure, it's usually a lot better under pressure. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. It, it was funny, you know, I was just scoping on Facebook as we do in this modern world and um, I, I came across the Effortless Swimming Clinics and uh, it was something that really resonated with me and, you know, um, with my background, I started at a very young age. I was a, a Wollongong boy um, on the coast just south of Sydney and, you know, the water was kind of my life and um, was thrown into the pool at a very young age and kind of stuck it out and went through the kind of the club, the state, the national and international competition um, of, of swimming. And my discipline was freestyle. I tried many different things, you know, whether it be the sprint, the 50, the 100, or into the uh, 1500, the 800. I don't know why I did that for a while, but um, it was a good background. But mainly for me, it was the the 200 and the 400 freestyle were, were my main disciplines. And, um, you know, at the age of 16, I was a pretty good age group swimmer, um, was a gold medalist at the age championships. And then from there, that kind of catapulted me onto the, the stepping stone, so to speak, of getting into the international competition on the way for the dream of the Olympics. Um, and it was one of those things that, you know, just kept on going through. Um, state championships, um, national age championships, and then went through the national open championships. And in 2002, I was um, the third place behind Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett in the 200 meter freestyle. And for me, still to this date, I think that's one of my greatest achievements um, to be behind those two guys who were the, the fastest uh, at the time, you know, world record holder in their own rights, in their own disciplines. But in the 200 freestyle, it was one of the highly competitive events um, on the Australian, you know, men's program. So uh, from there, that put me into the um, the Australian Open team, which took me on to the Commonwealth Games uh, later that year in Manchester. And I swam individually uh, and was uh, sixth in the, the final. Uh, at the 200 freestyle and then also too um, was a part of our 4x200 freestyle relay and this was you know the the one of the main events like the 4x100 for men um, and the medley relay for women so the, the 4x200 freestyle for men was one that we were dominant in for so many years and you know there's a lot of pressure and a lot of prestige to you, know, you put on yourself when you become a part of that team uh, but fortunately enough was a, a gold medalist at that and then that kind of Continued my progression um, into next year, was on the Australian team again, and uh, from there was at the uh, World Championships in Yokohama, and also we uh, competed, oh, sorry, later that year in uh, after Manchester in 2002 in Pampax, um, and competed there, they were in Barcelona, and no, sorry, it's so long ago that you get them mixed up. Uh, Pampax were Yokohama, and world champs were Barcelona. Um, 
And yeah, it was a for those it was another stepping block onto the way to the Olympics. Um, and I was a gold medalist at both of those as part of our four by two hundred freestyle relay team. But uh, then in 2004, you know, the, the big year, which was Athens um, for the Olympics, uh, I was all prepped, had a really good training, um, really good taper into that um, trials. And then unfortunately, uh, just by the click of the fingers, I missed out on making a spot uh, for the 2004 Olympics, which, uh, yeah, was a bit of a shock. And what was that? What was that? Uh, that feeling like immediately afterwards, and then say six to twelve months down the the track, was it something that you were able to come to terms with in a, a reasonably quick amount of time, or or did it something that's was it something that stuck with you for a while? Um, think of this. You know me. I'm the analogy queen. Um, think of this as you know a, a little child that wants something for Christmas, um, and that's all he wants. And you know, for for a child, like a, twelve months is a very long time. And then all of a sudden, they don't get what they want, um, or it comes in a different way, and they're unhappy with that. Well, for me, that kind of stretched out for about a ten year period because it it was something that I'd been striving. You know, you got to think I, I was swimming from the age of three um, all the way up until I retired at the ripe age of 24. Um, so it was my life pretty much for, for 20 odd years. I didn't know anything different up every morning um, to bed late at night, six nights a week, you know, training um, and uh, sorry, six days a week, not six nights a week, but six days a week in this routine. But then following, you know, with school and then when I went through the HSC and finished school, you go into, um, you know, the workplace because you need to be able to support yourself as well. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a big shock and a, a big change. And, you know, like, what do you do with your life now? Like, that's the biggest thing, because all of a sudden you're building up to something and then that something doesn't happen. Um and, you know, it's another four years of pain, toil, um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of achievable moments as well, which, you know, it's kind of the highs and lows of the roller coaster, I guess, if you think of it like that. Um, but it was just like, oh, what do I do now? I don't really want to hang out for another four years. And the guys I was training with at the time, you know, we had a, a good core group with Tracy Menzies of um, six to eight athletes and of those, you know, there was four of those athletes that were actually a part of the Olympic team for 2004. So I was still going to training for six months after um, missing out on the team. And, you know, as I started to get later and later going to training, I realized that, you know what, um, it's probably a good idea that I, I kind of call it. And it was like breaking up with someone really, you know, it's a whole part of you, a whole part of your life that you've just gone, no, this is not what I want um, anymore because it kind of hurts too bad to, to realize that, you know, this is, this is something that I miss out on. Um, this is something that I really wanted and, you know, I don't really want to be going to training every day with people that are going to it and then all of a sudden I'm not a part of it. And so it's kind of that feeling of left out. But, yeah, to, you know, to answer the question, it was, it was really about a 10-year journey to kind of be comfortable with who I was, this new version of me versus the version of me, which was Jason the swimmer. Hmm. And what, what was it that allowed you to be comfortable with it after 10 years? Was there a moment or was there something that someone had said or um, what helped you kind of get, get to that place? I think it was um, a time 
of, of sitting back in that 10 years because after that that period um I, I pretty much went straight into working for an event management company after um leaving sport and i was already doing a bit of um part-time tough stuff with them already and um then when i went straight into you know the the kind of full-time with them and then just got distracted by the events and using the skills that i've learned you know the challenge the thinking outside the box the the really kind of pushing yourself to the absolute max to get the job done um, it was something that, you know, you kind of took that on board. And then the next job was working on a cruise ship um, over in the, the Caribbean, uh, working for Disney Cruise Lines, um, one of the largest, you know, corporations in the world. And, you know, then seeing a different facet to that and then learning new skills and applying the skills that you learned from swimming to be able to put into, you know, the, the workplace and working with people and dealing with people. Um, and then, you know, after that came back to Australia and then was working with a precision driving team, um, which was uh, originally the Toyota Hilux Heroes and then it turned into the, um, the D-Max uh, drivers. And, you know, we... We had an, an amazing group of drivers that we traveled the, the countryside with and, you know, um, we're doing, I was doing the commentating side of things and these guys were doing amazing feats behind the wheel, uh, driving at all these different country shows and big royal shows, you know, the Royal Easter show, there'd be up to 50,000 people that I'd be commentating in front of. So, you know, you, you kind of, it was about at that moment where I started to kind of look back on my life a little bit and you go, you know what, um, without swimming, without you know, that kind of background, I wouldn't be able to grow into the person that I am now and continue to challenge myself and to try and push myself that little bit harder. So um, I guess that was kind of the point where I, you know, was able to then just take control of my life and say, hey, I can do whatever I want to do. And that's kind of what I do right now. Um, I kind of plant a seed, as I call it, and then I water it every now and then. And, um, you know, eventually it sprouts into something and then it'll either grow into a massive tree um, or it'll, you know, go into something that will lead me off into some complete other different tangent. Mm. I like that approach of of kind of putting the, putting this, planting the seed, putting it out there and then just seeing what comes of it. Because I think I sort of have a similar thing where I look back at the last, particularly the last five to 10 years when I feel like I'm starting to get a, a little bit wiser and a little bit smarter with things. And uh, some of those goals that I had set earlier on, they have started to come to fruition and um, they've started to play out. And it's that planting of the seed. It's the, the thought of, all right, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to be doing. Uh, these are the people I want to be around. And, and then they just start to come and it's, it doesn't come from a place of really trying to, to force it. It's just letting it, letting it happen. And, um, and that's what I've, I've seen over the last five to 10, 10 years. And I mean, you, you've had some very, um, some pretty interesting, um, jobs, which could, which can be you know, sort of a high, um, press, uh, pressure situation or, or could be very, very stressful. Uh, but by the sounds that you perform best when, when the, the pressure's on or there's a, there can be quite a lot at stake or, um, you know, you, you work well in that environment. So, do you want to talk about maybe one or two um, situations or, or things that you've done sort of in, with your work over the last uh, 10 to 15 years where you've really had to be, be on point? I think there, there's, a, there's a lot of times where I've had to be on point and it's, it, it comes down to that, you know, with the swimming background, you, you line up and I remember going to, um, you know, the Olympic trials, um, the, the Australian Open Championships and um, as you line up, 
you know, you've got you're in the marshalling area and then you kind of come out and they've got the music playing, especially for a final, you know, they introduce you one by one. So that precious building, the precious building. And then, you know, you can have that pressure that just some people will just fall apart. Other people will rise to the game, and I guess that's happened, you know, with everything we look at in what in life um, throughout history. But for me, you know, I kind of <laughs> I'd always people would know in the stands, especially my parents, if I was that guy that was after my name was introduced, I kind of was yawning, looking like I'm about to fall asleep. Then I was actually going to perform really well because that yawning actually allowed me to stop. Uh, without me even knowing something that I did, you know, just um, naturally, I would be able to yawn, be able to stop, be able to take that deep breath, relax, and then just get into the moment and actually do what it needs to be done. And it's kind of something that I've drawn on, you know, whether it was commentating in front of 50,000 people, which, you know, you've got all these people in your hand, you've got a microphone, you've got people screaming and the drivers could be doing, you know, one of the slower maneuvers that's not overly that exciting, but because you're controlling it with the microphone, you can actually get the crowd to erupt and you can control them. Um, to come into another moment as well where um, uh, I worked on a private yacht, which I still do these days now, but the last yacht that I worked on was a 90-meter ex-Arctic um, icebreaker and it was converted into a private yacht and you know we traveled the world with this yacht I first joined it in French Polynesia and uh, we took it down to Antarctica and down in Antarctica it's the most remote place where we were was completely off the beaten track you know not many um, yachts or, or cruise ships had actually gone through to that area and um, it was one of the I do remember there was one of the, the, the places where it was a landing and um, I had a lot of experience because I grew up with Surf Club as well, so driving the IRBs, and I was one of the, the Zodiac drivers. And um, we had like a shore party. It was a doctor and, and a ranger who went ashore and, you know, set up just in case, we, you know, the guests that were with us got trapped. And it was a really surgy surf, and it was, you know, surging probably five to ten metres up this uh, rocky, like kind of pebbly rocky beach. And... Um, you know, the, the doctor and the, the ranger are like, yep, this is fine, this is fine, you know, we, we'll be able to get this ashore. And you timed it. You were able to time it perfectly and then, you know, the boat would be pretty much uh, beached on the shore until the next surge coming back through, pick the boat back up and you push it back out again. And I, I went back to the captain and I said, look, you know, this is not safe for our guests. This is not a place um, that I would be taking any of my family members ashore in and... You know, it's some place that um, we shouldn't be taking our people. So he went back to the guests. The captain went to the guests and said, look, we're not going to go ashore here. So I went back in, picked up, you know, the shore party. And, you know, they, they were pretty miffed with me. They weren't very happy at all. Um, but it was one of those things where you were able to sit back and take in the big picture. And, you know, the reason that I can relate to that is because when you're swimming, I remember the Commonwealth Games um, and, and as a part of the 4x200 freestyle relay, you were, you were watching what was going on. You know, um, Grant was first off, Leon Dunn was second, I was the third swimmer, and Ian Thorpe was the fourth. And... Um, uh, the first two swimmers are in the water and, you know, they're doing their thing and you're kind of watching, you're getting up behind the blocks and there's so much going on around you. Uh, and then all of a sudden you just have to focus on what you need to do. And as soon as you touch the water, it was like autonomous. And it, it was kind of a similar moment there where, you know, you're taking everything down in Antarctica that was going on, the waves, the swell, the penguins, the seals, um, 
and you know these shore party trying to get a get ashore, and you just go back and go, you know what, no, that's that's not the right thing to do. Like we've got to cull this. So you know there's a there's a couple of good moments, but there's been so many where you've had to rise up and you be able to pull on that. Um, that mental approach that you have with swimming, the you know that calmness that you can have with it, where you can actually look out and see a whole different perspective, a whole different range of things, um, but also too, you know, where you can just get the job done. And when it's under pressure, it's usually a lot better under pressure. Yeah, I think swimming's got to be one of the best sports for being able to come and operate from a place of calmness because it's it's got that slight that meditation aspect to it where you're in the water there's not much sound happening there's you're focused on your breathing and can really get in the zone and that's really the place where i think you, people can perform best and I, I was watching the afl grand final this year and if you had a look at the two rooms you, you had the richmond tigers they'd been there yep. before they they were having fun they were laughing they were really relaxed or as relaxed as you could be before a grand final and then you look at gws and they were they were really amped up and they were you could tell that they had a lot of nervous tension and not to say that you can't you can't win from that that place but uh, you could really see the difference in the two camps and i know that um, that richmond actually worked with with two guys um, one a guy called nam baldwin who i've done some uh, a surf breathing course and he's actually been on this podcast uh, and yep. one of the things that he he teaches is how to use your breathing to to come from that place of calm and another guy Oh, I've forgotten his name. It's Ben Ben Crown, I think. I heard a, a, a podcast with with him, and he um, he teaches a very similar thing, but um, also teaches uh, about coming from a uh, about vulnerability and um, just getting the place to to gel that way, and um, and also to kind of just be open about what they're feeling and and the thoughts that they're having. And so those two two things are. I reckon are, are really, really valuable, especially from a team environment, uh, but also personally, because if you're operating from that sort of position of of calmness, of of being open with things and, and truth and honesty, and that's a that's a really um, good way to to then be able to make the right decisions. And you know, with you in, in Antarctica, like if you're if you're worried about what the guests or the captain or those the shore party might think because of um, you know because of you, call, you know, calling it off then yep, you may yep. you may not have done it and something something really bad could have gone wrong just because you didn't want to rub people the wrong way but um, when you come from that place I, I think it's uh it really makes a, a difference and i think a lot of that comes to with age as well you know as i'm getting on um you start to realize that you got to be able to focus on what is important mm. and not necessarily what everybody else is thinking and you know back to my time on the on the team i was pretty much five years on the australian swim team and um, I remember having, you know, with one of your other coaches, Mitch, we're having a chat about it. And when you're on the national team, it was, you know, you were yourself, but you were the best version of yourself in terms of what you thought you should, how you should be, how you should act um, as an Australian, you know, world-class swimmer. Um, and it wasn't necessarily who you wanted to be. It was kind of like a bit of an act at the same time. And then as I'm getting older in, in, in my life, I'm actually becoming a little bit more of myself, um, you know, which can be really amped up, but can be really quiet, analytical uh, at the same time. So, you know, it, it's an interesting thing that you get as you get older where you just learn to focus on what's sort of important. But just to bring up what you said about um, – you know, with the nervous energy, it's good to have the nervous energy because then you're able to actually feel it and know that this is something that's really important to you. Um, 
and you know then you able to be able to this is where you able to switch it off and actually can focus on what you need to do. I've got an example of that where I went for a meeting uh, with one of the seeds that I've planted. And I planted this many years ago when I was swimming and I've always wanted to work in television. And I had a meeting with a, a television um, producer and I was the nervous I've ever, ever been. Um, you know, even probably more nervous than what I was at Commonwealth Games because that was a bit of a blur. And it was because of, uh, I said to him, it was mainly because the nerves are, mainly because this is something that I really want to do. Um, but the reality is I have no control over whether it's something I'm going to do or not. It's just something that I really want to do. So I'm just trying to put my best face forward and and this is who I am. This is how I am. And, you know, they'll either like it or they won't like it um, because there's a lot of things that we don't have control over. But the only thing that we have control over really is us and how we react to a situation. Mm. Yeah, and that's um, that's something that I can relate with. Even with coaching over the last, I started 11 years ago, I think it was, coaching. Yeah. And when I, even the first five or six years, I was I was really serious about things. Like I, it was rare to sort of have a laugh and um, like, yeah, you'd make, you want to make training enjoyable, but I was always coming at it from a very sort of serious uh, perspective. And then, um, yeah. especially the last couple of years, it's like I've just, I've been able to, yeah, you have the serious, it's serious enough where you're giving, getting people results and you're, you're giving them the right sessions and, of course, and all of that. Yeah. But people really, they want to have fun. They want to enjoy it. They want to have a laugh. And that's how they learn a lot better as well. And in terms of like training in a squad, if, you're, if your coach is going to be breathing down your neck every single session, you're not going to enjoy it. You're probably not going to stick around. So if you can still do the, do the work and you can, have a laugh while you're doing it and in, enjoy that. Well, that's a lot more fun for the coach and the swimmers. So I've tried to really take that into the clinics, but but also really the camps that we we run, like at Hell Week this year. It was it was so much fun. Like we had um, a couple of coaches over there um, who I've gotten to know really well now. A lot of the swimmers are people who have been two, three, or four times to previous camps, and it's kind of like hanging out with with friends. And yeah, we still still gave people what they what they needed and what they wanted but we had a lot of fun with it and that's so much more enjoyable for for everyone and i think if i was to coach a, a squad again that's that's the kind of approach i'd like to to make and uh, i look at uh, i think it's dean boxel swimming australia put out a, a video that um, they'd mic'd up Dean Boxel and recorded a, a swimming session. I don't know if you saw Actually, that. I watched that not long ago. Yeah, so yeah. funny. Like he's yeah. he's just cracking jokes left, right and center, kind of giving giving his swimmers a little bit of crap uh, along the way, um, using some good analogies to get them to be able to, um, you know, race well. Like he was talking to one of the swimmers. He's like, you know, when you've got your swimsuit on, you're like your Batwoman, I think it is. He's just he keeps yeah, drilling that yeah. into it, and I'm like that. That would be a really fun squad to training if he's if he's like that every session. So I really like that approach. And you know what? It's that fine balance between the both, uh, especially from a, a coaching squad. And it doesn't have to be you know for the young guys. It can be for the adults as well. It has to be that fine balance between giving the athlete what they want, but also to making it personable as well, mm. because you can always be so technical all the times, but you've got to be able to have a laugh and have a joke because in the end, you know what, it doesn't matter who you are in the world. And um, over my time, I've met some of the, the most famous people in this world. Um, I don't like to name drop, but um, it's, you know, you name the, the celebrity, you name the politician. I probably met them in some way, shape or form or had an interaction with them. And, um, 
you know what? They're just people. They're, they're all the same. And if you can have a chat with them and, you know, realize that they are just people, um, it, it, it just makes it so much easier. You know, you can still get what you want out of them or they can still get what, you, what they want from you. But, you know, we still need that personable approach. And I think sometimes we lose that a little bit, especially in, in sports where everything's so data orientated these days um i know that was something that we, we talked about earlier that we wanted to touch on and you know like things that that, that have changed over the years and um you know when i help you guys out with efforts for me i love doing it because the data's right there right in front of you you know most humans are visual people they need to be able to see it and when you see yourself on the video straight away people are like oh wow is that what i look like and i always put the analogy of you know there's like you um, when you go out, you know, you spent a couple of hours um, getting ready. Before you go out, you look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, that's great. And then the next day you look at the photos online or you look at the photos a couple of days later and you go, wow, is that what I look like? You know, it's, it's completely different because we have a, a different perceived idea of what we actually look like. Um, but I love that kind of analogy of just piecing it all together because the technology that, that we have right now is – phenomenal where you can actually video it within a couple of minutes you can actually see it straight back and then you know with the program that you guys use you know we're able to draw lines and and work out you know different angles degrees and can go into that technical side of things but then at the same time you can kind of you know make it a little bit personable too because people most people are shocked to see what they look like especially for the first time um and it's kind of that technology that we only started getting at the first you know kind of in 99, I remember uh, going to a swimming camp and, you know, we're using the underwater videography, which was the the diver, the scuba diver kidding up with all his gear and blowing bubbles in your face as you're swimming past him. And <laughs> the, the massive camera, under it's almost like a television camera under the water that he was trying to film you on. Um, and, you know, it was it was still... It was still kind of a new technology. They used to film, you know, from the outside and get your recovery and all that sort of stuff and your stroke rate. But these days where you've got all the underwater cameras now, you can actually break everything down uh, with the high-definition cameras as well. You can even slow it down to actually work out exactly what the muscles are doing um, at each point, you know, without the stroke. So from a technology point of view, that's amazing. But you look at it from the other side with the kids these days with Facebook, um, and I don't know how they handle that social media side of things um, because, you know, social media can make or break you pretty darn quickly, mm. which, um, you know, is something that we never really had back in our time. We used to have the fan mail, which was sent from Australia Post, and it was, you know, <laughs> letters from the school kids um, that were sent across in a mail bag, which is really cute. You know, I've still got a few of them. Um, but, yeah, it was just like I don't know how the kids these days in this, you know, really help because obviously mental illness is a big thing um, going on in this world right now. Yeah, I think we were really lucky to grow up when we did. Like it sort of just missed just missed that side of things. And uh, I mean, even now, it te- that technology is so addictive and I, I just think of that with myself. Like I, I just actively turn the phone off at times because I'm like, geez, I've been, I've gone down the rabbit hole for 30 minutes, 60 minutes here. And I've got nothing done yep. and my brain's kind of fried from it. So, it's just uh, – and that's from 
from an adult. But you know the funniest bloopers though that have happened, you know, where people fall over or, or the latest thing that's happened on television or, you know, whatever TV show, whatever reality TV show it is because that rabbit hole is just taking you there for 30 minutes. Uh, I love like YouTube where you start looking at one video, let's say it's a swimming video you're looking at and then all of a sudden you end up watching something about whales and dolphins and, you know, 30 <laughs> minutes right. later, like, how did I get across to this? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, one of the, um, going back to one of the things you mentioned earlier with uh, like you've got the you've got the the data there, but um, then bring it back into, well, how do you use that data to then improve? I was talking to a friend who he's worked in the, well, for, for an NBA team and now he's working for the, uh, for a team in the, what do you call it? Well, the, the baseball league over in the States that the, okay, M- yep. I can't think what the, the acronym is, but yeah, he's, he's working for a team there and he's working with a, a pitcher and they basically every single pitch that, anyone in the M- MBL, whatever it is, they uh, the, it gets recorded and there's 130 games a season, like a massive amount of games. Every single pitch by every person is recorded in terms of yep. where, where the release point was, where it landed, the, the speed of it, the, the, the spin. There's so much data there. And this pitcher came to him and he's like, he was having a, a really bad start to the season. And he, he came to my friend and he said, all right, what, like, can you help me just improve my pitch? I just don't know what's going on. And so they look at all this data and basically as the season went on, his release point kept, um, kept varying and varying. And so what they, what they want is the release point to be exactly the same every single pitch because then it's much harder for the batter to be able to read it. So if they release it at the same point, but they can throw different speeds, different curves, and, and all of this. Then that's that's how they that's what it makes a that's good pitcher. And so they looked at all this data and said, yeah, as the season went on, he just kept getting wider and wider and more varied with his pitching release point. And so they that basically came down to fatigue and tightness through his hip. So of all this data, what it came down to was they just had the physios work on his hip flexibility throughout the season. And then his release point just pretty much stayed exactly the same for the entire season. And I, I think he said he, he like he won pitcher of the entire league, like kind of like um, like almost like the Brownlow Medal um, in AFL. Oh wow! And uh, and all it came down to was just making sure his hip flexibility was all right throughout the entire season of the 130 odd games. And uh, like I, I like being able to take that data, the the video that we get, and then you kind of boil it down to two or three things, uh, maybe cues, maybe things that they should think about and uh, and being able to distill it that way because there is so much to take in when you're watching someone swim. And, you know, I remember when I first look, started looking at video, it's like, oh, geez, where do, you, where do you start and how do you break it down? But the more you do it, the, the more you can just sort of look at it and then automatically you've got these couple of things that you go, all right, this is what we'll, we'll talk about and this is how we'll keep it really simple for, for that swimmer. And what have, like, what have you found going from being a swimmer to um, now coaching people at clinics? What's, what have been some of the main things that you've learned going from, from those two things? You know what? It, it's, it's, it kind of led into where I was thinking anyway, uh, the, the question that you've just given me because, you know, I, when I reached out to you, I loved the, the fact about these clinics and then when I actually went to one and, and, and trialed it and I went, wow, this is, this is absolutely amazing. And it comes down to something that would happen, you know, because there's always the story when you meet a new person, oh, where did you come from? What have you done? That sort of thing, you know, the general chit chat. And then you talk about, oh, I used to be like a, you know, world-class swimmer. Oh, I'm a really good swimmer. You know, you should watch me swim. Okay, cool. So, so 
then, you know, if we're at a pool or at the beach or whatever, I'll watch them swim. And straight away, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's good. Um, but I'm thinking inside my head, oh, it's less than ideal. Um, and and what it is, is, you know, you watch most people who say that they can swim and 95, I would go say 90 to 95% of them are actually just surviving. They might move through the water, you know, not too bad, but they're actually only surviving. And there's probably only about 5% of people, 5 to 10% of people, I'd say, in the world that can actually swim really good. And it comes down to one simple thing, and it's your breath. It's how you breathe, you know, it, because water is not our natural environment. Um, and the more that I did the clinics, the more I was able to kind of draw on the all these different analogies. And that's kind of one of them that I use. And you watch, you know, most of the athletes that are participating in the clinics and all of a sudden they just start, they, they kind of have a smirk on their face or they laugh or they're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Um, because it kind of really clicks with them that, you know. And then you're not obviously trying to insult them. You're trying to just say, look, this is what I see from a from an athlete perspective, you know, competing at the highest level. And you try to then put it into their terms and just say, look, it comes down to whether you can breathe or not, you know, whether you're comfortable breathing or whether you're reaching around pretty much laying your side and gasping for air. And, you know, that's where yoga um, and meditation really comes into its own to actually bring together as a part of swimming because once you're able to breathe properly, you know, then all of a sudden you can swim pretty damn good as well because the rest of it's just the technical and moving the arms a different way. And um, I think the other thing that I really found was that a lot of the, a lot of the key things were the same. Um, so, you know, with the athletes that I'd, I've worked with previously, I, I would, you know, watch their video and then I'd go through and give them the analysis and it'd be like one, two, and three. Then the next person would come into the hot seat, as I call it, uh, to watch their video. And it'd be like one and two are exactly the same as one and two on the person before. And then the next person, you know, there's one and two things that are exactly the same on those. So, uh, you know, I then have to make the joke. Well, uh, it actually is pretty something that's common that we're trying to change here um, because most people <laughs> would be just like, hang on, is this guy just, you know, taking the mickey out of us um, by just saying a lot of the same thing in every one. But you watch them and then you identify with it and straight away, the you know, those key things. Um and it's pretty simple for, you know, someone who, um, an athlete or a coach who, who's been in that business for so long, it's like everything, you become very astute and alert to what's kind of going on around you. And straight away, I can see with so many different athletes, you know, different things. I can watch somebody in the pool and uh, I know my girlfriend really hates it when I go up and just, you know, if I'm swimming in the pool now and I just go, oh, can I, can I just give you like a couple of tips, like maybe, you know, lower your head or whatever else, you know, I'm, I'm giving this for free. Um, and that, and then she's like, well, why do you go up and do that for? And I'm like, well, if they don't do that, they're going to hurt themselves. And that's the thing, you know, um, sometimes you can actually go to someone straight away and go, do you have a lower back problem? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm like, well, if you just change this in your stroke, you know, that might help it a little bit. And then they try it and, you know, a couple of hundred later, they'll be like, oh, wow, that, that makes a big difference. There's not that much pressure on my lower back. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But then my girlfriend's like, why do you keep on doing that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I just like to give. And I think that's the thing about it is that, you know, you've got 20 years of experience in something um, at the highest level to the highest degree. And you just want to be able to give back, you know, and, and help out where you can. And for me, that's the simplest thing where I can help out. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably the difference between you and I is uh, I'll go to the pool and you know, just, it's automatically you're like looking at people swimming 
and you're going, oh, yep. if you only did this and this, like that would make a huge difference. Um, yep. But I, <laughs> I but but I, you got a business to run. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I it just uh, I don't know, just um, uh, like I've I've said I've said it like a couple times, like I've give I've I've told people like yeah, if you just did this and this, um, but I think I don't know maybe not necessarily like a, a confidence thing or it's just like different personalities. I think like, um, I think you're like, you're much more out, outgoing. Um, yes. whereas I was, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit less so, so I'm less inclined to just go up and speak to a stranger and, uh, and tell them something. But, uh, no, that's, I mean, it, it's, uh, it can make a, a big difference. And as long as they're open, like if they're receptive to it, then it, it can make a, a massive, uh, a massive difference to them. Um, and so you know, the funny. big thing I remember working with, um, I wasn't even working. It was, I was just at the pool, um, an outdoor pool just here in Sydney and, um, just doing some laps and there was a young kid and it was a Sunday morning and it was a young kid working with a coach and the mum was there. And, um, I just went up to them at the end of the session. I sat and watched him for quite a bit and, um, meant that I wasn't swimming much, but that's all right. You know, I've got plenty of years of, uh, kilometers under my belt. So, um, but at the end of my little swim when I was about to get out, I just went over and introduced myself and um, I said, you know, is it all right if I just give a couple of pointers? And I spent about 15, 20 minutes with the young boy uh, helping him by actually doing the turns. Um, he was, that's where he was trying to practice doing his turns and, you know, showed him a few little tricks and like elite tricks that we did um, just to get the most out of your streamline coming off the wall, um, head position, that sort of thing, and, you know, how we actually use the momentum to, to get into the turn as well. And, you know, that cost me nothing, but that little boy had a beaming smile on his face. And look, it does help, you know, when you follow it up with, oh, I'm Jason Graham, you know, I was a world-class swimmer. Uh, I trained with Ian Thorpe for, you know, five years. Um, people sit and take notice straight away. And you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe this guy knows what he's on about. And then you can actually show them what they were doing and show them why you think the improvements are actually better for you and you can see the difference and it mightn't be you know necessarily a speed thing it mightn't make them go any faster but it might make them a little less fatigued mm -hmm. which is going to in the long term actually make them go faster so you know it's not always straight away going to be a hundred percent a change it sometimes takes time like everything in life but um if you can start with the processes and you know change it piece by piece, then all of a sudden, you know, it'll all come together eventually. And that, and, you know, using my analogy, you plant the seed and it doesn't matter how many seeds you plant, but, you know, you keep watering them and eventually it's going to grow into whatever it is. And whether that's, you know, your stroke catch, whether that's your kick, whether that's your head position, body position, whatever it is, you keep doing it, you know, maybe once or twice a session or three or four times, you know, a session, build it up, build it up. And then all of a sudden, you know, it eventually it'll click. Um, and for that little boy, you know, you can see he had a beaming, beaming look on his face. And look, I'm not walking around with the medals around my neck and that sort of thing. But the good old day of Google, you know, look, if you don't believe me, you can Google. This is who I am. This is my face. This is what I look like. Um, and for me, I just love doing that because, you know, it's it's a part of who I am. It was a big part of who I am. And I love to be able to share, you know, the knowledge that I have with other people um, if that might benefit them. Letting people know that you're, yeah, that that's your, that that's your background. It's just, it gives you the credibility for them to then be open to making those changes. So it's not like you're going around and, you know, talking about how great you are. It's, it, it, that, it's, it's that is what makes them open. But um, you also have that much experience in the sport and you've, figured out so much stuff as you've gone through it that 
it's you know there it's a disservice to not share that that stuff especially with those young swimmers who um, may never have come across that sort of um, you know, experience and knowledge before and it's, I find with kids especially like those ones that really want to learn and when you can actually help them they really feel like oh this is like you know maybe I can really go somewhere maybe I can really do something and it doesn't matter whether they go on to make an Australian team or anything but for that kid maybe making a state time or a national time is is like is is a huge deal for them and i mean i think back to my swimming like my best was a i think it was fifth in the 400 im at uh, at age nationals and like for me that was a that was a massive deal and a massive thing and i look back at that and go geez that took a lot of hard work to to get there but the Absolutely. um you know and and so i look at someone who makes you know australian team whatever it's probably you know you, you kind of it's all relative to the people you compare yourself to and, and what you feel is a um is, is a good achievement so um it doesn't really matter where people are at they everyone's kind of on their own own journey with it and you know what it, it's you actually nailed it on the head because it doesn't matter what the goal is it doesn't matter what your seed is it doesn't matter what your plan is as long as you've got something and then you're working towards it and then you achieve it it's that sense of achievement that gives us the motivation to continue on and doing doing the next level. And, you know, like I, I go through every day because, um, you know, I, I've come from such a, a background in sport that to get motivated to get out there and do stuff, you know you've got to do it, you know, otherwise your body's going to fall apart. It's the only thing that we kind of have to keep us going between that and diet, um, like exercise and diet. And, but just to get the motivation some mornings um, to actually either jump in the pool or jump on the bike or go for a walk, you know, can be so overpowering to say, no, I don't need to do that. No, I don't want to do that. But just to get yourself out and actually do it is, you know, something that you've put yourself to, you've done it and then you've achieved it. And, you know, I go through that and on a daily struggle. My, like my life is... My, my work uh, that I do now, working on a private yacht, uh, working for a family, a wealthy family in Sydney, um, you know, it's very active, but you still need to do something on top of that as well. And it's mainly to kind of clear your headspace um, to try and settle yourself back in. So, you know, it, it's, it doesn't matter what kind of background you've got, you've still got little goals that you need to be able to achieve. And it can be simple as, you know, making the bed in the morning, just trying to do that you know, every single day of the week, or it might be trying to get up at six o'clock in the morning, um, just trying to set little goals to trying to achieve them. Um, and, you know, that's, what the human spirit is about, like setting little things and trying to achieve them, having the obstacles to overcome, the adversity to overcome and to keep pushing forward. And I, th I think I'm happiest, well, I know I'm, I'm happiest when, I'm, when I've got those targets set or I've got like the, the, the routine that I want to be in and I'm, and I'm doing that every day. And when we're in Thailand for our Hell Week camps, every morning, um, Mitch, Kibby, who's um, not Mitch Patterson, but um, the other yeah. another Mitch. He, uh, we'd get up every morning at quarter to five, and we'd and we'd run, and we did that for the two and a half weeks that we were over in Thailand for, um, except for one day where we had a, a day off. But we did that every single morning, and regardless of how we felt, what time we went to bed, we'd just get up and do it. And I've managed to be able to do that nearly every day since I've been home. And when I do it, when I get out the door at five o'clock, run for at least half an hour. That's a that's a really good start to the day, and I think from having that background of swimming and early mornings and early starts, it's that if I'm not in an, an early morning routine of um, of waking up waking up early and and doing some sort of exercise, I feel like I've I've lost the day, and 
like I, I like having that win at the start. And so that's what I'm trying I'm trying to keep up is just have, doing some sort of exercise in the morning and just being in that routine because that is when that is when I sort of feel like I'm in control of things a lot more. Whereas if I wake up late, I tend to eat worse, have more coffee and um, and just not get as much done. So for me, it's all about winning the day early on. I'm the other version of you where I, I sleep in and have too much coffee because and then exercise <laughs> in the afternoon. <laughs> but you know what? Um, we just got back from an amazing dive trip um, on the yacht that I work on. And, you know, I'm, I'm the scuba diver on the boat and go down with the owners and make sure that they're safe and um, do the underwater videography as well, which is something that I absolutely love. Um, and, you know, every morning we're up like from 5, 5.30 sort of thing or my watch, if the boat was moving, was um, from 4 a.m. in the morning till 8 a.m. Uh, and then 4 p.m. in the afternoon till 8 p.m. if the boat was moving. And so you're up for the, for the sunrises and the sunsets. And where we were in Indonesia um, were some of the, the best sunsets and sunrises I have seen anywhere in the world because we were pretty close to the equator. Um, and it just in energized you, you know, either for your day or was able to wind you down for the end of your night. Um, it also helped in between that there was a lot of diving, doing three to four dives a day and some of the most incredible animals you will see. Anything, uh, everything from a, um, you know, eight meter whale sharks. We had five different whale sharks swimming around us at one point on, one, on two days of the dives. Um, and then the other couple of weeks, you know, some of the most amazing reef life you'll ever see, or uh, we even found like uh, three different types of pygmy seahorses. Now look at, you know, uh, what am I looking at? Looking at like a USB cable and like a micro USB cable uh, and look at the little plug at the end of that. Um, if you've got a Samsung phone or one of those, you know, um, Android phones or headphones, look at that little plug and that's the size of the creature that we're looking at and that's a seahorse and like we found those in the, in the middle of the ocean with the help of our dive guide and for me you know being up in that morning being that routine is something that i do i do miss um you know what you have to do when you have to do it at what time you have to do and of course there's always things that are thrown in different tangents you know scuba equipment starts to fail um cameras are, are tripping out or something else so you're always fixing something but just to be in that routine is something that you know it does speak volumes and coming from 20 years of that routine especially when i was into my early teenage years all the way through to my you know early 20s um up from four o'clock in the morning uh go training two and a half hours in the pool uh two and a half hours um at night time in the pool and then you know you got your gym that you put in there half an hour in the morning before the pool hour after you've done the morning session and then an hour and a half after the session in the afternoon and you're doing that you know six days a week um, that's the routine that's what my body knows so i guess i can have a few mornings off uh sleeping in but it's good to know that putting yourself back into that routine just makes everything so much simpler and you look at kids as well you know i know you've got a couple of kids and you know, so the moment that you put them out of their routine, everything just goes completely anarchy. It's to quote, you know, the Joker from Batman. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of those things we just have to have everything in place uh, and just be consistent. And sometimes that's the hardest thing is being consistent because there's so many different options out there these days. Yeah. Yeah, I can completely agree. And I mean, it, it, it's all about what suits you best as well. Like it, if it sounds like you're more of a... Um, more of a night hour than a an early morning 
Um, I think I've just done too many damn early mornings that uh, I, I don't want to. Like, but the funny thing is, if I'm put into a routine where it's early morning, I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy with that. But if I don't have to be up, uh, I won't get up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, for me now, especially like the, the kids are up at just after six and it's like if I don't get something done before that, then good luck trying to get much done for any part of the day. So, it's like I've, I've got to get it done early. So, I guess that's the uh, the driving force at the moment. But um, mate, I've uh, really enjoyed chatting to you on the on the podcast, and I know we've you know, we've been able to have a, a few good chats in person. But um, it's always um, good to to do this, and I appreciate you sharing your experience and uh, a lot of the lessons that you've learned over the last, I guess, twenty plus years of uh, of uh, your swimming and um, and and being an, an adult. So uh, thanks thanks very much, mate. And is there anyone that uh, any way that you'd like to, uh, if someone wants to get in contact with you, what's the the best way to do so? Um, look, the, the best way is probably through you. That'll be the easiest way. Um, come through the effortless swimming, you know, background, and if if you want to do, you know, some um, clinics, come down and see us at the clinics. Um, I don't do a lot of them, you know, because my full time takes uh, takes a lot of my time. But I try and do as many as I can. But if somebody wants to get in contact, get in contact with Branson through effortless swimming, and um, look, more than happy to answer questions, more than happy to chat, um, because sometimes in life that's all we need. Sometimes we just need to chat. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.